Well, we can continue to rejoice that the Lord loves us, and he's given us his precious word. And would you turn with me, or you can turn to uh, page 19 in the bulletin. We're going to read Psalm 139. Psalm 139. All, all of that. This is the living word of God, the inerrant word of God. For the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, <clears throat> being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men! For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your precious word. This is your revelation to us because you are a God of love. <clears throat> and you have given us your word that we might apply it and live by it, and that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and be conformed into the image of your Son. Lord, we long for that. We pray that we'd have teachable hearts and that we would seek you with our whole heart now as we look into this precious song. So we commit ourselves to you, Father, as your children, and we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When I was about eight years old, and granted, that was a few years ago, so I may not recall this perfectly, but... This is in my mind, as I was thinking about uh, the fact that we can't hide anything from God. It was about Christmas time, so I'm eight years old, 
And my parents, uh, you know, my brother and I uh, knew that they put all the presents in a certain place, in a room over there. And uh, so I thought, this was in my mind, I'm going to go in there, I want to see what's there. I want to see if they got what I had asked. And so, uh, of course, they tried to hide that, uh, but I found it. And I was in there when my father happened to open the door. And uh, he looked at me and he said, what are you doing in here? And I kind of hemmed and hawed and I didn't say much. I mean, I essentially lied. And I couldn't hide from my dad what I was doing. He knew what I was doing. And uh, certainly the Lord knew. And I knew that the Lord knew what I was doing when I lied uh, to my father. And it's interesting that when I thought of hiding, that was the first thing that came to my mind. But... <clears throat> You know, this song here, this song of David, was, it was sung by David in praise to God. You know, David rejoiced that God sees all things. He sees everything. And David was rejoicing also that he knew everything that David was facing, as nobody else did. And I often think about how comforting and how joyful it is that we can have an intimate relationship with the living God. We can come to him through his son. But I wonder how often I think, or how often you think, uh, of the comfort and the joy uh, that we should have in our soul, that he knows us perfectly, completely. How often do we think of that? And while that thought may give comfort, it may also give some fear. Because he knows our sinful thoughts. He knows our foolish actions. He knows our hurtful words uh, to each other more than anyone. He still says, though, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And this gives us even more comfort, of course, that he can love us and he accepts us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, he accepts us as his children. There's no creature, says in Hebrews 4, there's no creature hidden from his sight. No creature, nothing is hidden from him. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hiding from God is impossible. It didn't work for Adam and Eve didn't work for Jonah, didn't work for me, nor did it for David. David said in Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then there's a change. But I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. So he poured that out. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David knew he couldn't hide, so he confessed. And yet, we still hide, I believe. We think we can still hide from him. We don't confess readily, even though he knows our sin, and we know he knows it. No creature is hidden from his sight. Everything and everyone is open and as bare as can be, down to the level of our thoughts, and of our conscience, and our feelings, even the things that we don't fathom about what we're thinking. But there's also great comfort that he knows all about us. He knows all. If you look on your notes, in the first section, verses 1 through 6, God knows all. He is the omniscient God. And in the New Geneva Study Bible, the comment it had right next to this, it says, he knows everything about everything and everybody all the time. He knows everything about everything and everybody all the time. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me, David said. The Lord searches us and he knows us as no one else can. And with no effort, even though David uses the word search here, 
God doesn't have to work to search. He knows it completely, intimately, from the beginning to the end. Charles Spurgeon said, The Lord knows us as thoroughly as if he had examined us minutely and had pried into the most secret corners of our being. And David's thoughts, even as a king, you know, David, a lot of people didn't relate to David. I mean, he's the king. They didn't, they, he wasn't probably well known by his subjects in, in some cases. Proverbs 25 says, As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. But David here knows that God could search him. God knew him completely. And he praised God that he was known by the Lord. And there never was a time, brothers and sisters, when you were not known by God. David is praising God here, as we should praise God also, and giving him glory, that he knows all things about all things, and about David and about you. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Proverbs 15. The eyes are, my eyes are on their ways, the Lord said in Jeremiah 16. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Psalm 33. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers their works. And then David begins, starting in verse 2, with some details of how well God knows him. In verse 2, he says, You know my sitting down and my rising up. We don't even think of how often we do that in a day. Every particular action you ever take even unconscious to you, is known by the living God. When you rest, or you are active physically, or when your mind's at rest, or, or active, he's completely knowledgeable of, of that. And David said, you understand my thought afar off. It wasn't that he was afar off, but David knew that there's no limit. And we may have some fear that God knows all of our thoughts, but we should rightfully rejoice that someone knows us completely. There is one who knows you completely. Now, other people cannot know our thoughts, although many times I've told you I expect my wife to know them before I have to say them. But no one can know our thoughts. And we, even ourselves, we do not understand our own thoughts. But the Lord understands us completely and Him alone. And we will never understand ourselves unless we come to the Lord, unless we drawn near to him. And we can only understand ourselves through him and his precious word. You comprehend, David said, my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So when we're active during the day, when we go to bed at night and we sleep, he knows. We should delight that he is with us as we walk through the day. I don't know how conscious we are of that, but we should delight that he is acquainted with all our ways and he watches over us even as we sleep. Spurgeon again said, I may leave, he's, Spurgeon was praying here, he said, I may leave your path, but you never leave mine. I may sleep and forget you, but you never slumber. And Matthew Henry said, he, God, knows what rule we walk by, and by that he meant but the, the code that we live by, the, the rules that we live by. He knows what rule we walk by, what end we walk towards, and what company we walk with. He knows it all. He's acquainted with all our ways. And so we should endeavor to have our thoughts full of those things which please the Lord. Which is another good reason to memorize and hide his word into our heart and to meditate on the scriptures. 
We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that happens as we hide his word in our, in our hearts. Verse 4, David said, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows the thoughts behind the words, spoken or unspoken. And Jesus uh, told the crowds, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Your Father knows the things you need of before you ask him. And we, brothers and sisters, we tend to uh, say, we tend to speak what is on our mind. What is more on our mind tends to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our minds should be and our hearts should be filled with his precious word so that our thoughts are pleasing to him and our words are then guided by these thoughts. David uh, was giving his kind of last advice to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28. And this is what he said. As for you, my son, Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind for, because... The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts, including yours, is what he meant. So David was giving wise counsel to the future king. Remember that God searches all hearts and he understands all the intent of your thoughts. And so in Solomon's dedication later, in 1 Kings 8, this is what Solomon prayed. He was praying to the Lord, Give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. So he was listening to his father. Wise counsel. Verse 5, You have hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Just think of this picture. David here was rejoicing in the comfort of God's nearness. So he said, You've hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Psalm 34 says that the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. Psalm 145 says the Lord is near to all who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth. So we're talking about God's nearness and his intimacy. So his hedge around you, we have a hedge around you, makes you secure, should make you secure. Nothing touches you that he is not allowed. And he will glorify himself in helping you uh, trust in him through all that you face. He guides you with his hand. Can you picture that? He guides you with his hand. I did that when my kids were small. I'd put my hand on their shoulder and say, oh, you're not going that way. He guides us with his hand. Charles Spurgeon said, we cannot turn back and so escape him, for he's behind. And we cannot go forward and outmarch him, for he's before. And praise God for that. Such knowledge, David said, is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. He couldn't grasp it. His grace is certainly wonderful beyond our ability to comprehend it. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. But I believe, brothers and sisters, that we should ask the Lord to open our eyes to how wonderful this sure knowledge of his presence is. As incomprehensible as it may be, we should ask him to help us understand how near he is to us. This knowledge that he knows all things, he knows everything about us, even though it's so beyond us, by his grace we have eternity, praise God, to begin to grasp it. But he wants us to delight in his constant presence now and rejoice in it. In the next section, verses 7 through 12, uh, God is always with us. We, he will never forget us. We cannot be lost and hidden from him anywhere. There's no physical place you can ever go. God is everywhere present. He is omnipresent. And so, he, so consequently, he knows all things. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, for I am persuaded that neither, there's a list here, 
death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, nothing can separate his all-knowing love and presence from you and from his church. Not death, which most people see as the ultimate separation. Nothing in life, not angels of any kind, are powerful enough, even as powerful as they are. Not things or people or situations in your life now that you're facing. Not anything in your future, which, praise God, we cannot know. Not any spatial distance in height or depth or physical limit. Think of our brothers and sisters in prison. He's not limited. There's nothing, no created thing at the end of that list. There's nothing in all creation that can separate the love of Jesus Christ and his presence from you. Rejoice that nothing in all creation can separate him from you, that he is always near. And I got to thinking about this. You know, when you're asked to give an account for the hope that is in you, this is one thing I just thought, well, I, haven't, I should do this more often. If someone is essentially asking, what, how do you have such hope? You could begin by saying that you have hope because nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of my creator. That would be quite a testimony to that person. There's a famous person in World War II that said, there are no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. Let us pray that we may always know it. I think you know who that was. That was Corey Tenboom in The Hiding Place. So David went on, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? God is a spirit. And so there is nowhere, obviously, where his spirit is not accessible to you, is not able to hear you or know exactly what you're going through and feeling. David didn't want to flee from God. That isn't why he asked this. These are rhetorical. He didn't want to flee as Jonah did, but uh, he was imagining this situation uh, as the Lord inspired him to, to be assured again of God's nearness. And David's heart really was to be as near to God as possible. And he said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. Certainly also in heaven, uh, we will not be outside of God's gaze and his care, his constant presence. And all of his children there now are in his presence joyfully and are fully aware of what David is writing to us here and is saying. If I make, so if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, that is Sheol or the grave, or the depths of the earth, behold, you are there. So you can dig as deep as you want to hide, but God will be with you. Or God will be there. You can't hide. You know, there are people who thought they could hide from God. In Isaiah 29, it says, Woe to those who seek deep to hide the, their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. So they think, hmm, can't be seen. They say, who sees us and who knows us? Utterly foolish. In Revelation 6, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the common commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, all these people, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It sought to hide from the Lord. And that didn't work. They were judged as the Lord determined it to be, and no amount of hiding could, could stop that or hide, hide them from him. 
Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning, which is the sun, you know, as the sun comes up, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So David was thinking of the farthest place he could possibly be, the most remote or distant place. And in the morning, the sun comes up and it goes at the speed of light and it goes to all those places around the world. And David is saying, well, if I could travel that fast and go to all those places, you'd still be there. If you could travel even off the earth, it's nothing to the Lord, no hindrance to his nearness to you, to his loving hand leading you and his mighty hand upholding you. In Psalm 63, David said, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. A right hand often in scriptures was a symbol of strength and power. So the right hand of God is upholding you. Isaiah 41.10. So the Lord spoke to the prophet Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41 later on says, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. You know what it's like when you're holding your child's hand in a busy place and it gives him comfort. And God is saying, I will hold your right hand. I am that near. And what a blessed picture of the Lord our God holding our hand, saying, Do not fear, I will help you. I am near. I know. I know everything you're facing. In verse 11, If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, or cover me, or hide me, even the night shall be light about me. Darkness cannot hide from him. He is the God of light. Indeed, it says, The darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. He watches over us as we sleep. He watches over us when we feel alone, when, or we feel like we are in darkness, literally or figuratively. And even in the shadow of death, he is with us. His rod and his staff, his presence, they comfort us. It's his eternal presence. So nothing can limit our omniscient, almighty, sovereign, omnipresent creator from the blessing and the comfort of his presence to his own children. Nothing. About a month ago, I spoke about ministry from 2 Corinthians 4. And it says... For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness at creation, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the light which dispels darkness, all darkness, which shines as the day at all times, is the presence of the Lord Jesus, is the face of the Lord Jesus. So brothers and sisters, be comforted. There is no place where you can go, even in your thoughts, where the Spirit of Jesus cannot shine. Well, verses 13 through 16, the next section, many of you know this passage. God created us, and he did so wonderfully. He knows us inside and out. He knows all about your body, the condition of every cell in it. And he knows how long you will be in that body, and how long after you leave that body until your soul is reunited with your glorified body at the resurrection of the dead. He knows all those things. And he says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. God is the one who formed us exactly as he designed. So, of course, he knows all about us, everything. He formed every cell, every organ, every system of your body during those nine months. And he, he covered us. And what that means is he protected us. He watched over us. He was there. He was watching. 
We were hidden from the world maybe during that time. We were never hidden from him. And even, you know, when you think of the medical wonders going on right now that allow us to see uh, children growing in the womb that David could not possibly have thought of. But we have ultrasounds, you know, we have pictures. And it shows us even more how amazing, how miraculous his creation is. Each person is. And that we are wonderfully made and that the Lord our Creator is to be feared and praised. And praise God for the technology that is there. The, the technology which we have thanked God for at the Assure Women's Center uh, for people who are thinking of aborting their children. When they see that, many of them turn away. They say, oh, I can't do such a thing. When they see the beauty and the wonder of the creation in the womb. And may this cause many more to understand that abortion is murder. It's a sin against the living God. You know, an abortion is such a hideous crime against God. The destruction of his creation, his marvelous creation. And it's an attempt to stop his mandate given at the creation of the world. The enemy cannot stand this mandate. And he cannot survive it either. Praise God. And even though David and most of history really until recently were not able to see the beauty and the wonder of the growth of a child in the womb, David said rightly, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. David's soul knew well, by faith, that God's creation of a person and all of God's works are marvelous. Now, you may not like the way he made you or the way you look, the physical weaknesses you have or the things you've had from birth. Yet God does not make mistakes. He creates as he desires, and you were created. You were formed for his glory. As I mentioned also a few weeks ago, he uses, in a special way, our these very weaknesses to proclaim the gospel. But we have this treasure, 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure. We have the gospel. We have the spirit dwelling in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, in jars of clay, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So he would be glorified. I had a friend in college who uh, bought a car, and it wasn't new, but it looked like new. it was new. And, you know, he's his first car, so he poly You know how young men are. They were first car. They polish everything. Not a speck of dust on that thing. And one day I saw him, and uh, he looked a little down, and he said, uh, well, my car was in an accident. And I saw it. It wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't. It would never be the car that it was when it was in pristine condition. But uh, I looked at him, and he said, and he kind of smiled, and he said, but now it's customized. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what a, what a good attitude. It's customized. I mean, there's no other car like that on earth now. I mean, that scratch and that dent, you know. It didn't look like all the other ones that were clean and everything. So I, I always remember that. And, and it's customized. Brothers and sisters, you are each customized. You are made according to the will of God. Every unique part of you. And we should praise the Lord that we are each customized by him. And, and then praise him, as David did, even for the ways that we feel insufficient or we feel weak. David said, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Marvelous is his creation, all of his creation. But when we see the human body, we should marvel at it. And may we know well in our soul and praise him for this marvel. 
You know, we don't need to go to the seven wonders of the world, wherever those are. I, didn't, I don't know if I ever knew where those were or what they are. We don't need to go to where the marvels are. His marvels are evident in our body. My frame was not hidden from you, David said, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. This is a reference to the womb again. So his frame was not hidden. The beautiful and miraculous formation of a living child in the womb was hidden from the eyes of the general public, anyway, for millennia, but never hidden from God. He is omniscient in the womb also. And even with technology that allows us now to see a small part of, of this wonder, much of this wonder uh, is still hidden from mankind and I believe always will be. Your eyes saw my substance being yet informed, meaning before, even before conception, of course, but during the growth of the womb, uh, in the womb, because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1. It was predetermined. He created us to be his own people. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. He has a sovereign plan for all of our days, for each unique day that you are alive. He predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1. Not only was our creation predestined, but every day, every minute, until he calls us to our eternal home. And even there, in our eternal home, he's designed all things and he knows all things. You will not die one second before he has determined it. He knows all the days formed for each of us to live on this earth and also when we will begin to live uh, in our eternal home. You know, Stonewall Jackson, one of his captains came up to him and said, I don't understand. You're out in battle and the bullets are whizzing past you and you're just sitting up on your horse and they're all hunkered down there. Uh, reminded me of George Washington also. And I think Phil and Rodney have shared this before, but uh, Stonewall Jackson said to him, Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. Captain, that is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. Amen. Brothers and sisters, be ready. He was ready in this way. Uh, the full assurance that God knew all things, knew every day. Nothing was going to happen unknown to him. Verses 17 and 18, God reveals his thoughts to us. He knows our thoughts are naturally wrong. They're bent by sin. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, in other words, if I could do such a thing, they would be more in number than the sand. The sand in all the earth. When I awake, I am still with you. So the eternal vastness of God's thoughts should cause us to be in awe of him and, and uh, he should be precious to us. His thoughts should be precious to us. And his thoughts should remind us of our limitations, but of his almighty power and his will. If we could count them, it would take an eternity. In fact, I got thinking about it, if you just had a handful of sand right there, how long do you think it would take you if you poured it out, spread it all out, to count that? Well, think of all the sand and all the beaches in the earth. And far beyond that, an unimaginable number beyond that are the thoughts of the living God. Well, David was overwhelmed, I'm sure, just thinking about this. And we should be. And when we awake from sleep, praise God, we can realize again that we are still with him. He is still with us. He never left us. Uh, or ceased watching over us or our family. Deuteronomy 29, 29, 
It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, his holy word, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So secret things, there are some things we will never comprehend, but the things that are revealed. So we must be in his word to be able to begin to fathom what we're talking about here. His word must become more precious to us because it is how he has determined that we would know his will and his thoughts. And as you've been encouraged to do often here, again, we encourage you, Phil and Rodney and I, do all that you can to fill your mind and your heart with his word. Whatever way you can do that. You can hear it. You can listen to it in many ways. You can read it. I know many of you are working steadily through your reading program. You can study it. You all have study Bibles. You can memorize it, hide it in your heart, and you can meditate on it. And we'll be singing soon a song I know maybe is one of our favorite songs here at Dominion, the Romans doxology. But we'll be singing what is a New Testament expression of these verses, 17 and 18. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Well, going on, David says in verses 19 through 22, it's a, a bit of a change here, but he's pointing out that God uh, protects us. He knows all about uh, our enemies. He knows all about his enemies. He knows about all things. So he knows that we're weak in the face of his enemies without him, any enemy really without him. And we should also, secondarily, hate our sin and not follow sinners, those who are walking in this wicked way. And oh, that a knowledge of the truth in this psalm would move us to holy living. I believe that's two of the things that should do in our lives. It should give us comfort and it should move us toward holiness and a hatred of our sin and keep us from wickedness and from evil men. In verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. This grieved him that these people were saying wicked things against the living God. Your enemies take your name in vain. He hated that. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. That's strong words. Speaking against the God who knows all things, of course, is utterly foolish. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. He thinks, hmm. even if he doesn't say it out, oh, I can think there is no there is no God. He's a fool. God knows what he's thought. And it's a breaking of his commandment. And we should speak against it. We should bring his law to bear in the lives of the people who would say such a thing against the living God and speak his law to them, to those who hate the Lord. They probably won't like it. But we should not just allow his enemies to speak as they will against his name. We should call them to obey his law. We're called to present the gospel to them. And we're to contend for the glory and the honor of the name of God. And we should be careful, very careful, to watch movies, for example, which speak against the Lord wickedly and take his name in vain. You can cut those out, maybe. But many movies do that, and, and they hate his name. They hate him. And the Lord knows when we hear this and do nothing to avoid it. There was a time um, in the dormitories, and I was a senior and I was uh, one of the leaders of the floor. I was the leader of that floor on the dorm. And we were having a meeting. And there's one guy, I was pretty new, uh, young in the Lord. There's one guy, kept 
using the Lord's name terribly. It was just gross. And finally, I just stopped. And there are other people in the room. I said, you know, would you just stop? It's grievous to me to hear you say such things against the one I love, against the one who died for me. And of course, he, he just blinked and, and he didn't say anything else that day. And by the way, he never said anything like that in my presence anyway, ever again. I don't know what testimony that was to him. As far as I know, when I left, he was not a believer. But the Lord can use that. We should be grieved when we hear his name spoken like that. Charles Spurgeon said, crimes committed before the face of the judge. In other words, the judge right there, you commit the crime right there. Crimes committed before the face of the judge are not likely to go unpunished. They're not likely to go unpunished, no. And then he goes on, he says, as we delight to have the holy God always near us, you know, that's surrounding us, we delight in that. So would we, or should we, eagerly desire to have the wicked men removed as far as possible from us. So David was here thinking, I believe, of the bloodthirsty men like Joab that were around him in his court and in his army. You know, these, these men just acted first, killed first, shed blood, and he hated the result of, of their works in his life and in his kingdom. And so David said, I count them my enemies, men who speak against the living God. And so David, in a sense, was committing himself to integrity and to devotion to godliness and to a separation from ungodliness. And I thought at this point of the imprecatory psalms. We've referred to those. We have handouts on those. And David wrote those uh, as a way, God gave us those as a way to express righteous anger against sin and against his enemies. We believe those. We pray those here. They are the war psalms. They're the song that we go to battle with. We're to sing and pray those as we go to battle. And Charles Spurgeon said again, to hate a man for his own sake. Anyway, you just hate him. You just don't like him for some reason. To hate a man for his own sake or for any evil done to us would be wrong. But to hate a man because he is the foe of all goodness and the enemy of all righteousness is nothing more or less than an obligation. But God knows all about his enemies and ours, and he knows our feelings. He knows our fears toward these enemies. But he calls us not to walk in their ways or to approve of them. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Well, then to conclude, verses 23 and 24, God knows our hearts, and he reveals our hearts to us, as I mentioned earlier, and he guides us. Search me, David cried out. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. John Calvin said, David here, David lays bare his inmost, innermost heart for inspection. It's like, inspect me, Lord. David lays bare his, bare his innermost heart for inspection as one convinced of the impossibility of deceiving God. He knew it was foolish to try to deceive God. Lord, inspect my heart. You know it already. So David began in verse 1 by acknowledging that the Lord had searched him and knows him and knows all things. And now he's ending here asking the Lord to search him again. He's bowing before the God and saying, search me and know my heart. Because I, I don't even know my own heart. He's asking him to help to know his own heart. And the Lord, brothers and sisters, again, I will mention, he will always use his word in that process.
Hebrews 4 says that the word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We, we don't discern our hearts very well at all. We don't even want to often, but we don't do it very well without the word of God. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? That was the question Jeremiah asked. Who can understand his own heart? It's so bad, so deceptive. We must recognize ourselves, each of us, and admit how slippery our prideful hearts are and how much we still try to hide from the God whom nothing can be hidden, from whom nothing can be hidden. Our hearts are so deceptive, so full of pride that only his word and his precious spirit can help us discern the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. And the exposure of his word brings light and it brings truth. Praise God that we cannot hide anything from him. Because if we could, we would be utterly lonely. And at this point, I just kind of thought, well, that must be what hell is like. Utter loneliness, just a person in their pride. But the answer to Jeremiah's question, you know, how do we understand this, is the next verse in uh, Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. And David rightly ends this song with a prayer. It's these two verses. It's all a prayer, really, but these two verses he cries out. And he teaches us uh, that we should pray the same. And it should be the result of even a small understanding of this precious passage that we've looked at today, of what we've learned about from God in this passage, that we probably should fall on our face when we read of his presence, continual presence. I did um, bring something. I put it on the back table. It's called 30 Days of Praying, the Names and Attributes of God. should be enough for uh, every household anyway. Uh, Bill Goodwin sent this to me, and it was very timely. I was working on this, and it's a prayer. All, it lists attributes of God, and, it, and it's a wonderful guide. It's from the Navigators. It, it really helps to pray. I would urge you to take that with you. So David ends by praying and asking the very thing in verse 1 that God is already doing. He already knew that God searches and knows all things. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. So David is here humbling himself, and rightly so, before such a father in heaven. And we should also humble ourselves and praise him that knowing all that he does about us completely, he loves us in his son. He loves us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He accepts us in him. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our anxieties. As we already saw, David knew that his heart was readily going to sin, was trying to hide from from the Lord. So David called out to the, that God would reveal his wicked thoughts and his ways and then lead him in the path of holiness, the way everlasting. In Psalm 19, probably next week in the meditation, I will talk a little bit about this verse. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So David asked that the Lord would enable him to see and to hate his wickedness. The secret sins that he's not so aware of uh, but are still sins or the presumptuous ones that he actively knew what he was doing and he went in sin against God. He disobeyed. So he asked God to reveal those to him and then to lead him in the way of righteousness, to sanctify him. Matthew Henry said, this great, this whole passage really, this great and self-evident truth that God knows our hearts, he called it a self-evident truth, that God knows our hearts and the hearts of all the children of men if we did but mix faith with it and seriously consider it and apply it, would have a great influence upon our holiness and upon our comfort. Those are the two 
ways, I believe, that a beginning knowledge of this anyway should impact us. We should long for a holy life. We should rejoice and com be comforted by his constant presence. So brothers and sisters in Christ, walk in the fear of the Lord because he knows all about you. And so grow in holiness and grow in the fear of the Lord. Rejoice also that it is impossible for you to ever be out of his sight and care. You will never be alone. Rejoice and be comforted in his constant presence and in the forgiveness that we have been freely given through the Lord Jesus for our many sins by the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for us on the cross. Rejoice and be comforted that the Lord knows all about you. He loves you eternally in his Son, and he is always near. Let's pray. O Lord, indeed, we bow before you, the one who knows all things. Nothing can be hidden from you. And we plead that you would search us and know us. And if we are not walking in holiness and by faith, O Lord, lead us in the way everlasting, the way that pleases you. You are the God who knows all things. You know all. And we worship you. We are in awe of you. And we rejoice that we will never be alone, that you are always with us. And we praise you and we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.